everyone. Welcome to Savage Tales of Eberron. Ellie here. Um, you may have noticed that things sound a little different tonight. That is because we have something a little bit different for you. Uh, our Dungeon Master, Philip, is unable to join us this week. So uh, Michael, Kevin, Ernesto, and I are here to have a little bit of roundtable talk about all things Savage Worlds and Eberron and uh, talk a little bit about our Mourners of Lazar campaign, and maybe a few little surprises here and there. We'll see how things go. Ooh, no one told me there were surprises in this interview. That, it wouldn't be a surprise Christmas if I came told early. you. Oh, okay. So, uh, nice. Yeah, if everyone can just go ahead and sound off, introduce yourselves, remind the people who you are. Uh, hi, I'm Kevin. I'm playing Pascal. I'm Michael. I'm playing uh, Torlin. And I'm Ernesto, and I was playing Truco last session. I hope you're still playing Truco. Um, uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, I don't know when we are publishing this. So maybe, I mean, maybe this could be outdated soon, <laughs> uh, depending if we are just postponing it. After Truco's last crit fail, things took a dire <laughs> turn for the worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh. I mean, yeah. I wrote so good last session that, I mean, the first one, giving in context. So I, some karma has to come from that. So I'm ex fully expecting a lot of critical failures. But sorry, continue. I know you look forward to that. And yes, uh, I I'm definitely Ellie, do. And I hope I'm still playing the role of Dana. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so when, uh, when Michael and Ernesto and I... Uh, joined Philip's table a little over a year ago. I believe we were all new to Savage Worlds. Is, is that correct? Yeah, that's that, correct on my account. Yep, for and me then, as well. Um, yeah, and then when Kevin came to join us for Mourners of Lazar, that was also his first uh, concrete go at the system, um, oh, aside sure. from one shot that we'd done yeah. a couple months earlier. Michael, so, uh, more like a half shot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was fun. It was fun. Um, but yeah, we're we're all here now, kind of figuring stuff out together. Of course, Michael Ernesto and I are are very experienced old hands at this now. Oh, totally. Yeah. And, and know exactly <laughs> like, what we're fully experienced veterans. We'll never leave Kevin astray ever. We know exactly time. when to use Benny's. We know exactly every time what decision we have to make. It's uh we are just pro. We're just pro. I just pull up my Excel sheet for calculating <laughs> bennies in the other screen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, good times. I mean, I, I still use cheat sheets for certain things. It's true. They're just they're just useful. So with all that in mind, the first question I'm gonna put to you guys is how did you get here? How did you end up at this table? Um, tell me a, bit, a little bit about your introduction to TTRPGs in general, to Savage Worlds and Ebron in particular. How'd you get here? Where do you think you're headed? Well, I have been at the table. Uh, I feel like, yeah, you came along just after I did, I believe. Um, yeah, I joined week two of Secrets of the Ashen Crown. I've been kind of running games and playing in Ebron um, using the fifth edition system for Dungeons and Dragons since Rising from the Last War came out. And then the pandemic hit uh, and the table that I was playing with 
uh, kind of went underneath uh, while we were playing online for a little while, but people's attendance started to drop. So I started looking for alternative options. And uh, over the summer, kind of just turned Eberron's LFG Discord into my own little like manual RSS feed, checking in on there every once in a while. Uh, and then eventually I saw Phil's post and he kind of had a similar approach to how I was like looking for a game, which was taking my sweet time with it. Yeah, and I uh, so, you know, it, it seemed like it would wind up being a more worthwhile uh, use of time and emotional effort uh, as it is definitely a taxing thing to to go through joining tables uh sometimes you know those experiences can be a letdown um so i was like oh i just want to uh join a table that i've got a really good feeling about uh and that definitely turned out to be the case wow i like i completely relate to that story again you know i I'd come in with 5E, like really just shortly before you did, because I think Rising came out, what, 2019? Yeah, yeah. yeah November, that, October. Yeah, I started playing 5E in, in 2018, and we're just about halfway through the year in the summer there. Started in Forgotten Realms table, got to an Eberron table, and yeah, I didn't had some, had some not great experiences. And I had the very same thing as you, where Phil's post was super attractive in that regard. You know, I remember specifically he said, I'm not looking for players. I'm looking for the right players and I'm not in a rush to fill the seats. And I was just like, yep, that's that's my guy. So, yeah. How about you, Kevin? Uh, we well, invited, invited you. me. Um, and then. Uh, yeah, I got an invitation to the table um, after Seekers ended. Um, I had been at uh, the table that Michael DMs at for 5th edition D&D. Uh, for about six months and uh yeah so the slot was open and i jumped on it did you your uh so you played with michael before right yeah right. um and in fact i'm still at uh at michael's uh right heavily modded uh fifth edition table right. Yeah. Right, right and you're not new to the to the ttrpg scene like you've no like a um, few i've heard you talk about exalted before and other things yeah. Um, I got started in D&D 3rd edition, uh, just a bunch of us band geeks uh, after school and high school. Woo! Um, Go band geeks! Started, yeah. Uh, we started bringing in um, RPG books. Uh, I think my first character was a half-silver dragon cleric used a fighting chain. That sound like a 3rd edition thing? Maybe. Um, but basically, we kind of had this sort of unspoken rule that if you brought in a book and could teach everybody to play it in 30 minutes, uh, we'd give any system a try as we were all, you know, young and trying to figure stuff out. And the one that we kind of settled on was Vampire the Masquerade. Um, I tried, you know, Fallout. We tried Rifts. We tried uh, a number of different systems. But the one that kind of like lasted more than a couple sessions was Vampire. Um, and... Then we learned that the school, the next school, like down the road in the next neighborhood over, um, we're putting up a VTM LARP. Uh, and so I threw myself headlong into that and was Prince by the end of the first night, which was uh, kind of funny. Um, and then uh, from there, like I was in a Barnes and Noble uh, one kind of fateful day and looking through their role playing books and found uh, a book called Exalted the Dragon-Blooded. Uh, and 
the intro blurb just won me over in a heartbeat. There is this uh, wonderful redheaded uh, army commander and like the end of her uh, speech, she's like, we're going to be committing treason. And if anybody has a problem with that, speak up now. And I'm like, this, this is where I want to be. This is the, the kind of stuff I want to be doing. Um, and that started a, a wonderful experience that lasted for about four or five years, uh, both in, in live play and in chat role playing. And then when I went to college, uh, I was like, oh, I'm going to grow up. I'm going to be like a big boy and I'm going to put all this stuff behind me. And I did until COVID happened. And then I'm like, it's all started coming back. You know, critical roles started happening. Harmon Town was was happening or Harmon Quest was happening. Harmon Quest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What's Harmon Quest? Dan Harmon's uh, heavily curated uh, D and D game. Dan Harmon is the writer of uh, Rick and Morty. Um, okay, and Community yeah. the um, yeah, series. And he did a heavily edited D and D game as well called Harvest. Uh, and it features a lot of the same kind of really quick wit uh, that you see in some shows that writing is well. But uh, and then Stranger Things was happening, and so I was like. You know, I'm going to be like indoors for a while. The, the Internet is is so powerful at what it, it's doing these days. Let's give a look at fifth edition. Uh, and uh, a look turned into a gander and a gander turned into looking for a table and things kind of happened. And now I'm here. Yay. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's the history of many like that kind of domino effect on uh, a few you start even more if you like started from high school like and and you have that that age and you get start to look to look up how is the uh how is the, the the game now right and and the whole community that has been like growing up so massively i mean so massively even that it reached out to uh to other places of outside of the united states for example here uh, in Uruguay, and I, w- I wouldn't say to to a great extent, of course, uh, mainly for people that know uh, that are uh, somewhat English speakers, uh, which which is my case for for not the most part, I would say, because I, I'm still struggling with it, uh, the language. I mean, um, and yeah, I want to mention like the Vampire the Masquerade. I, I always remember that that was my first game, my ever first game of uh, Tabletop RPG was, was uh, with Vampire the Masquerade and uh, with an excellent DM, I have to say, like, uh, because that that system focused more on, on narrative and, and, and kind of immersion, right? At least for me in, the, in that moment, and like the first game and... and and, and I remember like him telling like a dream sequence that we, we have like at some point it was so like uh, and it was the first time of just like narrating a story and I was just really hooked uh, on it. Um, and yeah, I mean, going starting like for the from the origin story of why I play tabletop RPGs, um, mainly because of critical role uh, uh, for me, at least uh, that's how I learned a lot of English, uh, how I like. I, I was kind of somewhat decent at understanding English at some point. And then I started uh, watching Critical Role and, and and that, I don't know, I just the voice acting and the whole thing uh, just just grew on me and, and, the, and just learning 
a lot of new words and, and a lot of interactions and a lot of things um, alongside a lot of a lot of media, right? Uh, other media, um, and and from that point I went to uh, to to a small local house that they were like playing tabletop RPGs, and then I, I played Vampire the Masquerade. I remember like that was my they have like three really memorable experience there for tabletop RPGs. Like the first one was for Vampires, which was really great. The second one was from like a 5e game where I tried to play a gnome monk, a gnome monk that I remember the first thing I, I tried to do was like, uh, okay, someone is coming. I want to try hide, try to climb up a wall and try to hide there. And the DM just straight up laugh at me, laugh, mm-hmm. laugh on me, like just for like, oh, no, you can't try to climb a wall. There's like, no, there's no way. And it was such such a shitty DM just all mm. all the way through. Um, just just like trying to. It was it felt like that like a DM versus players kind of game, mm. which is like a really shitty experience so far. So that was that was my introduction to Five E actually. Oh no. Uh, yeah yeah yeah. I mean, first time vampires really nice. Love the the narrative aspect. Then comes Five E, which is uh not really a great first experience and then my third game was uh playing i don't know if anyone of you guys know it but the tomb of horrors a version of the tomb of horrors for 5e that i ended up in a game that was playing that that module and it was such a shitty dungeon it was amazing (laughs) oh fuck i mean I don't know if you guys ever play that, but never, never, ever do that. Um, I just, just, just as an example, my character ended up uh, gender change and without any items and 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 without even being able to speak, I believe. And then I end up falling in a pit uh, and then just straight up died. And and I, then I wanted to ho- go home at the time and then just just like just. Suicide oh. my character really quick and then went. <laughs> I didn't. I, oh, I went, no. didn't want to be there. Um, but it was such a shitty. Like uh, it was such a mechanical type of dungeon. Like there were no interactions or anything. It was just all mechanical, right? You have to wonder what the world building reason behind there being a, a strange gender bending trap in the middle of a du- dungeon. You know, <laughs> you, you have to there's, wonder, right? There's a lot I mean, of I, questions <laughs> about the intentions behind Tomb of Horror that um, there have been a lot of discussions about, especially you know with the with a lot of the culture shift we're seeing around uh, around tabletop. The uh, yeah, I, I mean, mean from, I, what I, from what I heard, it's like Gary Gagax, which is like wanted to poke around with all the, with his known friends and he just wanted to make a sh- joke of a dungeon i believe and it ended up being the greatest dungeon apparently like which i don't i disagree completely but i've never heard anyone say that about two before <laughs> <laughs> i mean i read that like one of the three greatest dungeons in dungeons and dragons history something like that maybe somewhere most infamous yeah this is definitely a that word yeah but um... yeah 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 but that that was my first experience with tabletop bridges, which one great, two awful, and um, from that point I was scattering scattering to find a long term campaign, which was something that I was really fond of um, trying to look and trying to find, and uh, and jumping in Discord, which I was already in because of gaming, 
And, and from that point, looking into servers, and then I ended up in the Evron server, which I was quite fond of the setting as well, uh, just by reading about it and, and the whole notion of um, just like a steampunk combined with magic, like we were doing war forges and just like the whole like technology messing up with magic. And I don't know that, that, that whole thing is a, like, as a grand concept that I really, uh, I find really, really attractive, uh, as a setting. And, and, and I, I just look at the first post that had players available and I end up with Philip and, uh, he sent that beautiful questionnaire of yeah. questions uh, for your character which i i thought that was the thing that really sold to me um like the the game like uh, for him to ask uh so many questions of you uh to for what experience you have what are your intentions of into into when playing what 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 do you want from the game or um what uh, are you okay with this types of narratives that we want we want to play into on and all these all these things that i i i mean it it, it spoke about uh, a dungeon master that took care of the game which yeah I think it's, absolutely it's, yeah i think it's a great uh quality and uh, to like something that as a player you kind of like feel good about okay I, i've I feel good about uh, getting into this game, knowing that uh, I'm, I'm, my character is in, is in the hands of someone that, like, I don't know, wants to create a, a good experience through it all, right? Yeah. Now, for the listeners, I don't know exactly what uh, sort of survey uh, Phil had used for sort of, I guess it was a bit of a questionnaire uh, that was yeah. given to new players uh, or prospects for the table um, because I wasn't given one. I gave myself what? one uh, when I joined the table. So I don't know if he was using something different from what I had used, uh, but if there is an interest in that, um, perhaps we'll throw that down in the description or something so that right. other DMs can make use of it. Yeah. I mean, I, I entered, I think I entered the game like in the third week. Uh, uh, or, or you something. In, like you came in something like three weeks after I did, so that would have been week. Uh, oh, like really? Five or so, yeah. Oh. No, and it's um, it's interesting that you talk about having this negative experience where you weren't allowed creative freedom to do something you thought your character should be able to do, because you know, back to being part of this table that that Phil was really conscientious about putting together to make sure that you know, we all had a good experience with each other. The thing that really cemented to me that I was at the right table was Ernesto, your very first uh, session with us, we were in Ashtur's tomb, which was, uh, which was basically a boss fight, you know, our first boss fight, the campaign, you joined halfway through the fight. You know, we'd finished the previous session in combat with, you know, this huge undead hobgoblin white rising out of his tomb to, uh, to come wreak havoc on us. And, you know, that that's where we started your first session. And I remember it because uh, Ashtura got top of the initiative order and, uh, the very first thing he did was beat the crap out of my character, Jack. Um, I, 
you know, it was one of those hits that was bad enough where I threw all my bennies to soak it and still had to, uh, had to come away with two wounds and, you know, and, uh, in Savage Worlds, player characters can take three wounds. You take a fourth wound, you're rolling, you know, you're basically rolling the equivalent of death saves, except you only get the one save. So you better roll really well. And uh, at that point, I was just in a panic. You know, combat in D&D, it always stressed me out really hard. I'm sitting there going, well, this is great. I just made this character and he's about to die, like, real, you know, we just person. just to clarify, it doesn't happen that very often uh, compared to five eight, right? But uh, it happened, you know, it happened to me just kind of right off the bat, very first, in, you know, real encounter. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, that's just great. I'm making a new character sheet in an hour, and uh, then it was Arigat's turn. That was Ernesto's character. He was next up in the order, and the very first thing Ernesto did as a player new to our table was to ask Philip if he could use his action to shove Jack, that was me, out of Ashtur's path of damage and take my place toe-to-toe with him. And Phil was just like, yeah, absolutely go for that. And that was just, that was kind of a revelation for me because, you know, first of all, it was another player thinking really creatively in combat, um, which I wasn't used to not, you know, including for myself. Uh, second of all, it was another character being incredibly selfless in combat, which I really wasn't used to. And, uh, you know, third, it just told me a lot about, you know, about your character. And it was just like, okay, yeah, we're we're a team now. Let's, you know, let's yeah. do this. I mean, I designed Arrogate as a team player. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, not many, not many, like, not so much on the mechanic level but more on the like personality level or trying to at least uh i mean also like i think the the previous player that was before me because we were they were like one player um, was the abandoned the, the game i believe and it was like he was playing like an irish type of character with like he was a druid of some sort uh, from what philip told me i believe uh and and he was um a Dennis uh from uh from uh, the Dennis house right and he was uh he was a blade mark as well um so it, it, it made sense for me to create a character was that was also a bodyguard right and mm-hmm. and, and to switch places with this with this new um with this new character and um and yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought of him, of, of Arget as a, as a bodyguard, and, and that made sense. I was like thinking through the like the whole like, no, Mr. President, and just jumping right <laughs> in the front of the bullet. And it was just, and it was totally in my mind. I'm like, okay, I have to do this. I have to push the, 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 the person I'm protecting, right? Uh, and, and it's really cool that Philip, I first of all, agree with that. And second of all, there, there was a, um, there was no like, with, with this there's a thing with savage words i believe like it's it's somewhat it's like in between a heavy narrative paced game and a heavy mechanical type of game like like you will say five eats type of a heavy descriptive in terms of what you can do in your turn right and you have six seconds and you have like an action and bonus actions and and movement and all that uh, and there's a couple of things you can do with your movement. Uh, there's a couple of things you can do with your bonus actions, and uh, right, depending on the character, more or, more or less. 
And then it's the narrative, the more narrative-driven games like Bumper the Masquerade, where you have there's no basically no form of combat, like turn-based, or you have to like uh, just you basically think of things and just do them. Uh, and there is hopefully uh, a role that you have to do in between doing the thing and the thing happening, right? Um, so I think like Savage Worlds kind of like goes into this midterm scenario where there's this not that descriptive in ways that it doesn't like strict your turn into being like just one thing or a couple of things or if you're like i don't know if your character wants to do a lot of things he can right he or she can and 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 maybe not being really good at them because there is a penalty associated with it but they totally can and and you can be like somewhat vague with that description of what you want to do and there's like in the more narrative driven games, you probably have a way of uh, associating that with the role, right? Um, I don't know. I, I I at least see that difference uh, for me, for my personal experience, right? Of being a 5e. A 5e also can be really flexible, like, but that depends more, like everything depends more on, on the group, right? And the people that you're playing, you're playing with. Yeah. Um, and uh, that, that kind of segs into our uh, into our next question here that that you basically answered, but you can sure expand on it if you want. Um, which is taking a look at what kinds of stories do you guys like to tell through through TTRPGs, and how does Savage Worlds help you tell those stories? You know, I think Ernesto's already again touched on that with telling the story about well, I you know I want Arget to be a protector, so here's ways to use. Uh, to use the game to use the system to accomplish that Mm. this is this is i think the hardest one for me to answer um because i think i'm still kind of figuring out what my uh what my tastes and aesthetics are for ttrpg stories especially after taking a you know several years long break Mm. um for for college and for you know life chapters to happen um but you feel like your intentions of playing tabletop RPGs before versus now are different, like um, during. Yeah, I don't. Ah, oh man, I don't even know really if if that's the the case. It's been so long since I've played them as a kid. Uh, I mean, the idea of like being, you know, the protagonist of your own story, being, you know, the guy who goes and, and saves the day. Um, but I have, I've always also kind of thought that like the the power in tabletop role playing games is the ability to flip the script, um, the ability to take any kind of plot point and go. But what if we go down the left door instead? You know, uh, what if we we go down this other kind of uh, pathway instead? Um, and as a result, like things aren't going to be as as tight and as as well defined as you know like watching a movie or playing a video game where you've had play testers and test audiences and you've tightened all the screws and you've you know taken out all the dead air but on the other side of that coin is you have this level of exploration you have uh, a lot of these opportunities that you just don't have in in reading a novel um that uh that i i really seem to uh, i think that seems to be what keeps me coming back um it's just kind of the power that you have uh in in this format and and also my winning personality let's be real here yeah it's true yeah of course i mean 
I mean, Ellie, Jack, the, char- first, the character of Jack, uh, just reading through the whole uh, blog and the stories wiki week. Uh, and and uh, yeah, it was just, just everyone. Uh, it was such a cool thing to be part of and and to your point kevin yeah it's 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 totally that like i imagine it's like this uh amazingly long like choose your own adventure book that it's like quite it's um you are reading it you are writing it uh as you go right Mm -hmm. and 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 there is a lot of a lot of um i don't know i like it i like it also uh, like tabletop and, and role playing as somewhat of a uh, self inspecting type of like uh, scenario, right? Uh, in terms of yeah, in terms of putting yourself in 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 other in other people's uh, head, right? And 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 trying to go through uh, your character's backstory, right? And trying to to see how that might correlate with you in some ways because you you have to you have to portray that character right and and if you want to be like in a more narrative type of game right you can perfectly just be in a more like enjoying that uh, just choice uh outside of uh, like me as a player enjoying the fact that i can make a choice right and and, and go left or right and but there's also why my character will want will want to go right or will want to go left, right? And and how would I choose if I was in this in that position? And how I can uh, interpolate the two options, like, like between my character and me, and and see what comes out of it, right? Um, Absolutely. And I don't know. I think that's a really cool thing that you can do, and and it's not many genres or many games or many types of media can do that um but yeah well how about you michael what kind of stories do you like to tell through tabletop and uh how is savage worlds helping you get there well it's good that you reminded me what the question was (laughs) 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 so yeah i mean i think that uh i have to look at it from two different perspectives um the answer is the same in some degrees you know when i'm running a table and different uh, as a player as well sometimes certainly for both sides of the scenario uh the emergent gameplay is is of course my favorite um really being surprised um are always going to be the highlights the times that i think back to are like you know you didn't expect that one to happen um (laughs) and that's that's honestly one of the best parts about savage worlds to me uh, is that the system will surprise you sometimes just because you can always roll a crit fail or you can always, uh, you know, roll a 40 on a damage roll when you didn't expect it. Um, so it's it's not just the players and the DM surprising you, which you can have in, in any uh, system, but also the, the dice. So that's always a good time. Um, what I look for as a player, very hard question to answer um phil asked me that at one point you know what i was looking for uh with this dwarf character that i was creating and i was like well i have no idea i haven't played him yet <laughs> and uh i mean that's very much the case for me is is uh i don't know everything about about Torlin yet we've only played you know x amounts of sessions 
Um, so it's very much a, a journey of, of discovery of the character and seeing how he's going to respond to the world and, and trying to get in the character's head and, and make decisions according to, uh, how I think he would, he would do that. Um, and of course there's always, for me, it's, it's, I think there's a, a very, a very valuable, uh, self-development aspect to role-playing games, you know? whether it's just becoming more comfortable in another person's shoes or getting better at improv or, or narration and prose, all of those things um, are reasons why I love the game. You mentioned like the, the surprise of the system, right? Uh, like what, what, uh, what's unexpected, unexpected right from Savage Worlds. You, you experienced that as a player as well, I imagine, right? Oh yeah, of course. Or, yeah. 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 Because I mean, one thing that I really love, uh, if we go like, I think that there is also a question about, uh, uh, what, what do we like about like Savage Worlds? What part of the system, um, do we think makes it stand out? Right. And uh, for me, the Bennies, Uh, the concept of the Bennies, the concept of, of having, like, as a player, having uh, that uh, extra level of power, right, uh, over the game, right, and of basically having luck as a, as a, um, everyone has luck as, a, as in 5e, right? But it, it's a bit more than that, right? Because you can award Bennies by, uh, by basically playing better your character or by any situation that the dm or the players might find it funny or engaging or enjoyable right and and just that uh reinforcement of okay if the game it's good and and you are enjoying it then you are better at it or you have more choice or you have more opportunities to to drive the narrative right um which I think is it's it's a surprise, but but not in a surprise that it's unexpected, but more in a surprise that it's oh that's it's wonderful that I have the, all this uh, <laughs> to do or to like or if I fail at something oh I might succeed with a Benny or if I succeed at some in my case uh, the last session if I succeed at something oh I can try to search for a critical failure with a Benny. Well, I'm just happy see. that I've uh, passed on the dice curse to another player this campaign. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you had it rough in Seekers. Not I, I don't know if Daniel had it worse at the end than you did, honestly. It was a real toss-up. Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, to, to sort of take that line of thinking and, and from my aspect so far being the new guy here, um, what I think Savage Worlds for me does really well, uh, is the adventure cards, mm -hmm. um, just the ability to, uh, have this little, you know, token relatively speaking that you can just slide onto the table and go, but what if we get some spicy going on? Um, we had we have had some yeah. very spicy adventure cards at this table, and uh, by putting it in the power of the players, um, like how spicy you want your story to get, it really kind of is reflected in in use of the cards. We only use one adventure card in that uh, in the first session, um, and uh, and and that might have been reflective of the fact that none of us had our gear. Uh, weren't exactly like really looking for a whole lot of spice in the situation that we were in. <laughs> yeah, boy. 
<laughs> but uh, but that might not always be true. And I think some of the most memorable moments that I've had in reading uh, some of the the Ashen Crown uh, recaps was you know uh, a well placed adventure card can change everything without just being like and now the story like here's the benny hill theme like (laughs) it's not that powerful where you just totally derail tone or mood but it really is like let's throw a firecracker in the room and see what happens and i Um, mean in in terms of derailing tone or mood it it should be uh, reiterated that ultimately you know philip has has the final say over the full interpretation of how the adventure cards play out. You know, sometimes he'll take our suggestions if we really make a good case for it. But but most of the time is the thing that's at the DM's discretion. You know, um, two of my my two favorites from from Secrets of the Ashen Crown were uh, the time we were on an airship and an assassin came for uh, Ivello. And then Ernesto had the Call of the Cavalry adventure card, which he played. Um, And I think we all assumed that our allies from further down the ship would just kind of come up on deck and, you know, murderize this assassin for us. But at that point, Ivello had been thrown off the ship. Arrogate had jumped after him. Um, uh, Lestock had jumped after him just because. And uh, Phil, you know, decided to narrate this card as... Oh, a giant owl swoops out of the air and catches Arrogate and Velo in its claws and puts them back up on the deck. And I think we were all sitting there going, wait, what? This, <laughs> this is cool. Um, you know, and then the other one, the other one I really enjoyed was uh gosh, what right in the end game when we were finally facing Tick in uh inside a seedy tavern and we had so many adventure cards in place. So, you know, I think again, Ernesto had called the cavalry and that summoned a huge crowd. Like I do. That, usually. That, yeah, that summoned a huge crowd of Denneth Blade Marks. And oh no, I had called the cavalry, which summoned a huge crowd of Denneth Blade Marks. Right, you had right. Angry yeah, mob yeah. Because you always I get had Angry Mob. Yeah, Angry Mob. And, uh, that's, what, that's the one I have. Always, and yeah. that summoned like all the angry, furious, displaced. Um, bar flies who'd been chased out of the tavern by like, taking his cronies and they came up. in and just yeah. started like beating him down <laughs> yeah. as he kicked them out yeah. of their bar and you know that that ultimately turned the tide that let us capture him alive and that was you know that was really awesome so yeah yeah, yeah no, just as I mentioned, like having your big bad guy just being kicked out, like being punched all over, like by a bunch of ang- an angry mob in a tavern. That was this. I think that's peak tabletop RPG moment. Yeah. Right so, like you know, yeah, adventure cards they're they're inherently spicy, but you know how they how they play out is uh, a lot to do with the DM, and ours is uh, very creative. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I mean, I got. I really. Uh, can't wait like kevin for for having like more games uh, uh like uh through like and, and getting like i don't know getting to use more adventure cards like in, in general like getting into situations where uh that uh really helps or really throws everything that's it's it's a really nice experience that's like as a savage world uh is, is this uh, is some of uh the the best savage world experience in terms of 
uh, unexpected situations, right? I think Phil's made a big mistake giving us all an adventure card every session. <laughs> I think he did, but he doesn't know it yet. So, oh yes, that, just that, a matter of time. Yeah, uh, that that is actually standard. That um, that all you know, it, that's kind of baked into the system that players are supposed to get. Uh, one adventure it's it's session based on based on their rank. We are not. I think he said that we're just going to stick to one adventure card a person. No, you know, even after our ranks increase, which is which is fine. You know, I think it would be way too much chaos otherwise. <laughs> because uh, uh, we're sense. not shy makes about sense. playing them. Yeah, yeah. Even yeah. more so, uh, Ellie. If yeah. we take. Uh, the DM hostage by being your birthday and just saying, oh, I want that adventure car and I want to use it because it's my birthday. Yeah, that was how I got the Which you did. card that made it so that we were able to capture Tick Alive. So, you know, uh, it's okay, Philip. You can say I'm your favorite. It's <laughs> I, I won't tell the others. It's it's cool. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He that already told me. <laughs> by the way. He already told you. Awesome. <laughs> Noah, uh, how about you, Michael? What what's your favorite Savage Worlds mechanic? If we haven't gotten to it already, uh, well, I mean, so Kevin will tell you that uh, a lot of stuff that I use in my fifth edition game, um, I just poured over from Savage Worlds. So pretty much most of the system I use, uh, I use adventure cards, although they will look a little bit different. Um, I use dramatic tasks, which you know. Uh, for what it's worth, uh, who knows, is a chicken or the egg situation, whether it was like fourth edition skill challenges or that came first or dramatic tasks. They're pretty similar. Um, but uh, to its credit, this is all baked into Savage World's core rules. So uh, certainly maybe it's our, our table that uses it so effectively. Um, but most uh, groups that you join in, in fifth edition aren't going to make a, a ton of use out of, of skill challenges, for instance. Um, even if even if the DM knows uh, about that sort of mechanic from from fourth edition, I think that uh, you'll see them used sort of sparingly in, in certain adventures. Uh, so uh, anyways, getting back to the question before I go too tangential here. Uh, I mean, it's got to be the dice system. It's got to be the dice system. Um, it's the first non D20 game I've played and I've had a lot of fun with it. And, uh, I like that you can always have some idea that you can succeed. Uh, even if you're, you know, totally inept in something, you know, sometimes fate just bestows a little bit of luck on you. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of the, the different die sizes as well. Um, going back to like, even, even vampire, the masquerade, um, the idea that like what you roll regardless of whatever number comes up, the fact that you roll something different for being better at something, or in the case of like a D10 system, like, uh, like vampire or exalted, um, you roll more dice, uh, you have a dice pool system. Um, and so the better you are at something, the more dice you get, the more chances you have to, to succeed. Um, I really like, because it's, it's really hard for me sometimes in a, uh, a system as swingy as uh, D20 systems uh, when you look at something, you're like, oh, I have a plus seven in this thing. And that sits on your sheet and looks really pretty. You still roll the same dice and it's a D20 and you get that, you know, nat one, that nat two. 
uh, like I sometimes am all too familiar with. Uh, and it's just, it feels like a big old wet fart. Um, but in, in the case of like Savage Worlds, when you roll a D10 or you roll a D12 in, in a skill or a, a test or a check, you're like, I'm good at this thing. And if you still fail, you still feel good because you're still you still have this visible, like tactile, visible representation of of your character's ability. Circumstances just got in the way. Um, Counterpoint. I think it's if it weren't for the bennies, you would have the same situation. Uh, I mean, yeah, it would still be very swingy in Savage Worlds. It's the fact that uh, assuming you're playing at yeah. a table that has generous bennies, you know, Usually by the end of the session, you can make all the rules that actually matter to your character uh, have multiple chances of, of success. Sure. But right. even even take something like uh, my first time playing Exalted. Um, Exalted first edition was basically set to the same exact scale as World of Darkness. The Both were made by the same company. Both use the same exact system. Both had basically the exact same terminology. Exalted were just better at everything basically the the idea of exalted is let's skip the first levels that everybody hates in D and start you out at the fun part where you're ac- actually good at stuff um but as a result like a, a a decent role in in the i don't know what it is now i haven't played a white wolf game in like 15 years um but it used to be that like seven dice in uh, a role in uh, in a vampire game was like, you're, that's good. That's worse than that. You're like, okay, you're starting to get towards like the unskilled side of things more than that. Like you're actually like good at stuff. Um, but a, a exalted at character creation, something that they're good at when you add their charms, you could double your dice pool. You could be rolling up to like 18 dice for that same exact check. And the first time you ever pick up this big old pile of dice and just like, <laughs> you know them across the table. You like, I'm the first time that ever happened to me when when I played Exalted. I'm like, I feel like a god because <laughs> I I had that sense of scale and like the first time I ever rolled like twelve dice at once. I'm like, all right, yeah. Like regardless of whatever the dice come up as, you can feel the tremble in the yeah. table as you're. <laughs> and and even even today, like uh, somebody casted Fireball uh, uh, during the session today, and just seeing like you. 6d6 or 8d6s whatever it is uh you know go rolling across the table is very different than that 1d20 just regardless of whether you have a plus 12 or a plus one in it and i think the way that savage worlds does it um because actually i've been playing uh in the the ua the the unearthed arcana the psionics stuff where you have this side die that transforms and gets larger um i'd already had a little bit of experience in in a changing die size situation and as it gets bigger uh, you know, the, the size of the eye changes and it looks different and it looks cooler and your, your brain kind of associates, you know, I'm good at this thing, even when the dice come up bad. Um, whereas a D20, it's, it's all happening in the abstract. It's all happening under the hood. Um, and that isn't to say that you can't have those, that, that feeling. I just personally find it a lot easier to have that verisimilitude or that, that synchronization, um, when there is a tactile difference between something that my character is good at and something that they are not so good at. Yeah, I mean, totally, totally. I mean, the fact that it's also like 
in Savage World's case, it's like one of the first things that you explain to to a new player, like your your skills, you, 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 how good you are at something. At something, it represents what type of diet diet you use, and 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 that, as you perfectly explain, like that that visual representation of okay, I think with more sizes, gets me it gets me more chances of of winning or or being good at this. So it's um, yeah, it's, it definitely has this um, that it makes it stand out from other systems that's i think i think that's kind of like the main reason why they did it because it's like it's also a good system but it's like one of the things that you can like say oh this is this is savage worlds and not another another type of another system this is what makes it unique at least for me um and uh, and yeah it's also there's also like the wild eye uh thing which uh, as a wild card you have like a to explain you have uh you can throw with any, with any skill you can throw a d6 alongside your die type uh depending on your skill and you can choose uh, alongside that both those dice can um explode right in the sense of like uh getting the max value of that dice and then you can roll it again and add it add it to the previous value and you can take the better of both the wild die or your skill die. So it, in terms of probability, right, uh, it's not a, a straight line like throwing a d20, like an adding number or, or uh, just one die. It's, you have, uh, probabilistically speaking, you have more, it's, it's, it's more of a subtle curve, right? It's more of a uh, it's more much less chances of you to lose at something, but when you lose, it's quite spectacular, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, that that is for sure. You know, there's um, there uh, the discussion of critical failure is always an incredibly uh, spicy one in the five E community, but it's something that's baked into the rules of Savage Worlds. You know, where you've got your bennies, and sure, you can reroll. A bad roll with the uh, with the Benny, but if you get a crit fail, you are you are stuck with that, and you just gotta you just gotta go along with it and see what happens. And I, I know, I know, there's the whole thing about well uh, about probability and how you know the classic argument against using critical fumble tails and uh, tables in five e is well, if a fighter has four attacks, they're statistically likely you know very likely to get a nat one on one of them but uh you know i've uh it's it's definitely something i've come to not be afraid of in savage worlds um again because because we have a creative dm who who doesn't just fall back on the classic horror story we hear of oh you rolled a nat one yeah yeah you just stabbed yourself or you just shot your teammate through the eye roll damage you know kind of stupid stuff like that um We've had I would really be honestly fail. a little bit scared of like, say, you know, going to a, a con where Savage Worlds is played. I would be like, that would probably be the first thing I would ask the DM is, how do you do your critical fails? Because with Savage Worlds, it's built into the system. It's it's a core rule. Mm-hmm. Um, in fifth edition, fumble tables are not in the core rules. You know, nope, they yeah, are they're optional. optional. So. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of something you got to worry about, uh, checking in, you know, how that's going to be run in the game. 
Mm-hmm. Um, because it could be a lot more severe than the way yeah. it is at our table. No, I, I remember mean, um, one of like one of my favorite uh, crit fails from the last campaign was when we had this dramatic task followed by a rather large combat encounter, and uh, Cade kind of set everything on fire. And you know, after after we were out of combat. Um, Arrogate was trying was trying to put out some of the fires even and we're all like yeah Arrogate we got to get out here the guards are coming let's go and he's like no I'm gonna put out I'm gonna put this fire out uh Phil has him roll for it uh comes up snake eyes and you know instead of again you know kind of that lazy DMing of oh you fall into the fire you know roll for damage or something like that it was Actually, you know, you, you were fanning the, fl- you know, you accidentally fanned the flames to another tent. So now more's on fire. What's you going to do, punk? Um, and, you know, you know, those kinds of complications, um, you know, yeah, I've, I, think, I, I really come to embrace those kinds of complications. Yeah. The whole sun on fire. We said like, we had to go and Arugat couldn't do much about it. And it's yeah. just like made it worse. Yeah. <laughs> everything was on fire. <laughs> Well, yeah. it's, it's good times like but you know, let's let's be honest how many times do we like prevent us ourselves for using a benny because of the fear of a critical failure it's happened like, more than once it, it's happened more than once i know it's happened for me you know if especially if it's a really important role you know if i come up with a three and i need that magical four i'm i'm likely to go or i'll take the soft fail <laughs> I'll, I'll live with the soft fail. Same, uh, same. The I I can't be afraid of that because part of Ruskell's kit is uh, a free reroll on evocation spells. So Oof. I'm gonna burn the ship down at some point. I don't know. I don't know when we're releasing this, but uh, this this might come back to bite me in the butt. But wouldn't it be funny if it did? Is uh, I hope I hope that this like this discussion is like right after. Uh, right Ruskell just burning the ship down. Burn the down. ship down. Just total yeah. arcane <laughs> backlash. No, I, trying I to fully, use one of those arcane cannons that just like yeah, no critical <laughs> Just poof. yeah, no. I I fully anticipate that uh, that you guys are are going to make Dana's uh, devotion to keeping everyone safe incredibly difficult to uphold. Um, but yeah, all these, all of those kind of more more clickety clackety mechanics definitely awesome you know i i also very much enjoy the exploding dice the bennies uh before we get off the topic of crit fails uh, one thing i wanted to comment on is that i think there is a very useful lesson that i've learned from uh phil watching him and listening to him dm and that's to if you're going to have narrative critical failures uh, take feedback during the game from your players on them. Um, I will give a scenario here where uh, we had been on the run in the Seekers of the Ashen Crown game from the law um, in a city where we had no um, no refuge and every all of the characters were on edge, essentially. And I happened to... Uh, we were assigned, you know, a, a group notice check, and my character happened to have a critical failure. Uh, and this was an instance where um, 
Phil narrated my character essentially going off around a corner and getting distracted with something. Um, and I private messaged him uh, after the fact. I was like, hey, you know, I don't think this really works for the character in the moment. Can we try and do something else? And uh, I think it wound up being a private message after the session. Um, but there was, you know, there was an acknowledgement of, of that. And he was like, Hey, yeah, you know, in retrospect, that makes sense. Um, uh, I wish he'd brought it up during the session because we could have just done a quick little pullback and, and done something different. Um, I, you know, we just didn't have any other ideas. And I think that's that was a really great thing. And it gave me a lot of faith in the DM. That's definitely one of the favorite, my favorite things that Phil has done uh, during the game and really exemplifies, you know, I'd never say this to his face, of course, but I think he is a first-rate DM and a really great friend. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, very, very much on both counts. Uh. Yeah, I mean, totally. And on the feedback thing, uh, it's, it's. Uh, I mean, it's a great quality overall. Like to to be able to do some critique, right, or do some. And he like after the session like like he like five like 10 times i believe like during the whole game just having a moment uh, after the session or at the beginning of the session of just asking all around that like, how are we feeling with this uh do we want to change anything there is any is any critique that you have for me like feel from the philip from philip's standpoint right and i'm totally being okay with receiving um criticism and 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 things to change uh which which i believe is a great quality overall um yeah no this this group is constantly uh, evolving in a lot of ways in a lot of in a lot of positive ways which is something i really really enjoy um kind of to to pull us back in in real quick here before we move on i want to i want to get on my soapbox for a bit about my absolute favorite Savage Worlds mechanic. Um, this will probably come as a surprise to no one. Uh, I'm, you know, I really have come to enjoy the crunchy stuff about Savage Worlds. But first and foremost, I'm a storyteller, and my absolute favorite thing about the system is the is hindrances. Uh, which, if you're listening, if you're more familiar with Fifth Edition, it's the same baseline concept as flaws, but like flaws on steroids and they um this might sound a little uh okay they matter in terms of the game it's not just a little thing on your character sheet that may or may not be you know be a part of the game at some point um you know in the core rules there's over two dozen hindrances to choose from to assign to yourself a character creation and some of them are strictly mechanical like if you're above average size or below average size or you're missing an arm or you're blind in one eye or something like that where you know the ultimately the result is a uh, is pretty much a straight up mechanical penalty on on certain rules but there's also a ton that are like psychological and behavioral hindrances you know, that represent the ways in which your hero interacts with the world in ways that will get them in trouble in, in one way or another. And, you know, sometimes it's stuff that that can seem really harmless on the surface. Um, you know, I know 
some some of you either have or currently are playing with the curious hindrance, um, which on the surface, you know, it's it's great to be curious, but it also means that if you're role playing to that hindrance, you're you likely might go down a tunnel into Kyber. <laughs> yeah, you're you, know, you very well might be dangerously curious at some point. And even if you're not danger, dangerously curious, maybe you'll be so, you know, curious that you'll pursue a line of questioning and not let a topic go. And it'll really, you know, upset the NPC you're talking to, things like that. Um, you know, you you know, we're, we're encouraged to build our characters around our hindrances, you know, start with the hindrances to figure out the story you want to tell and, and move along from there. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Phil's pretty generous about giving us bennies for, you know, for playing according to our hindrances, um, major hindrances he likes to incorporate in the campaign itself, which, uh, which we saw come into play very strongly in Secrets of the Ashen Crown for both Avello and uh, and then for Jack in the end game. You know, in Mourners of Lazar, my character uh, has, you know, a code of honor, which is considered a major hindrance because it's something that she is very much um, dialed into, into living according to this code. And uh, it, it's already gotten her into trouble. Um <laughs> Maybe more precious on the by back. the time this uh, by the time this episode is released. Um, and yeah, yeah but I just, uh, now that I you love. mentioned Jack, Jack is an excellent example of of uh, the use of hindrances, and also like uh, not just the use game to game, but also the the potential for uh, char- character development through them, because just by the fact that with an advance you can take one off yeah that uh, was, which you might think like really it's awesome. it's something it's something like quite ineffective to some extent if one sits from a non-narrative perspective or just like why would i use a level of my character to take out uh, a hindrance but if it makes sense on a narrative level like for jack like going through this whole campaign being ashamed of of uh, what uh, he did just fighting to fighting to get back uh as an agent right and then getting that back and then just clear, uh, clearing his name right and and going through that process uh and representing that character development into taking out i believe that was the shame hindrance right yeah you, that, you take yeah, that was right um, right close to the end there i used uh i used one of the last advances because it became reasonable in the narrative to uh to cross that hindrance off my sheet and at that point you know, that was so far to the end of the campaign, like within two, three sessions of the end, that it didn't, you know, have a tremendous impact in terms of future gameplay. But, you know, as a player, having walked him through this quite intense, quite complex story for a year, that felt really good. You know, I, I'm I'm a huge sucker for character growth arcs, for character redemption arcs, and having hindrances uh, really plays into that. Oh. Yeah, hindrances—they are awesome. I've uh, I- I've badgered more than one of you into uh, into loading up on them uh, for this camp. Yeah, just to mention with for Truco, uh, my character, I I did overload him with a lot of hindrances. I oh, believe. Jack had five, so you know you're good. Have you have five? You have five, five at the beginning. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh my god. Okay, I mean, maybe uh, not that much. Addiction and shame, and what else? No. 
it was um so outsider in uh in the savage Eberron conversion that we're using outsider minor hindrance is baked in for changelings so jack was oh, a yeah that's right that was, oh, right. So i had that by default okay so there were um, five and then, yeah and then i had um shamed loyal quirk and stubborn okay and uh you yeah, so that was it. Was good times. Um, wasn't always good times for his his party members, but it was a uh, no. it was good times. Um, so yeah, um, unless someone has anything they what, re- what do you think poetic of, about of uh, Henderson's Kevin? Like in the sense of like as as someone like did you do you experience like any like system that had that kind of like representing flaws oh, yeah. on a mechanical um, level. Yeah, exalted and vampire. Exalted I think both that. had uh, both had yeah, flaws. Yeah, vampires just have it. Yeah, mm-hmm. to some extent. Right, um, right, right. What I do like about Savage Worlds is that it caps the benefit that you can get from them uh, to four. Because when I was mm-hmm. a storyteller for Exalted, um, particularly in the the chat realm, which is a, a play by post, um, we would see people come in with characters all the time that are like, you know, they want eight extra points of, of flaws and they've got these and, and people get good at this stuff. Um, they get good at finding flaws that, you know, won't come up a whole lot, but will still yeah. give you these, these really good beneficial points. So two of the things that I think that, that Savage Worlds does really well is that one, it caps the points that you can get in flaws. You can take more flaws if you want, uh, if you really want to just totally, uh, uh, drive your character insane. Um, but uh, Jack was perfectly sane and perfectly stable. Thank <laughs> you very much. Um, but the other thing that it does is uh, is it gives the DM the opportunity to award you a Benny for playing to your flaw, which uh, neither, to my knowledge, uh, out of the box does does a vampire or exalted uh, even mention doing. You just get extra points at character creation for taking them. Um, so there's no real incentive going forward in in the game to to play to those flaws. Correct. Uh, you just kind of take them, and I think that also was what led to the encouragement to take certain flaws uh, to get the points out of them, and then they just kind of go forgotten on your sheet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really like what Savage Worlds does, where uh, you're encouraged to actually kind of play up to them um, or let them influence the story. Uh, I think with the way that I've built Russ, there's really only like two flaw or hindrances, not flaws, um, that are probably going to come up with any kind of potential role play regularity. Um, but I'm also the kind of player that wants to make those those moments uh, matter. I'm not going to be chasing Bennies uh, for them. They're going to be at decision points. Um, and, and hopefully that'll be reflected, uh, in the space, but that comes from a little bit of that gun shyness where like, I don't want to be somebody that, that takes something for a mechanical benefit and then just tries to like bury it under a rug. Um, I want those things to feel like they, they matter and Savage World seems to be really good at that. It is really good at that. You know, kind of my default answer when people ask me what I like about it is that it's a system in which the mechanics really support the story and the story really support the mechanics and they just play off each other so nicely. And uh, yeah, that's, it's good times. Um, Yeah. Moving, moving along. Um, It's party time. Uh What, what is 
your favorite? Hmm? I'm terrified. <laughs> what is your favorite book or movie or or video game with an Eberron vibe? You know, something that really reminds you of playing an Eberron, something you might take inspiration from for uh you know for your characters or any game you might dm and uh i'm just gonna say this please try to come up with something other than indiana jones indiana jones has been talked about to death in terms of of uh reminding people of ebron you know i love it as much as the next person but let's try to do something different here i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna take it before anyone else is uh and and i think ellie no 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 i was gonna say yeah go for uh, it i think you ellie you ellie like it too but treasure planet from Disney. You oh, totally. that one. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. I thought everyone I was going to go for Princess Bride. <laughs> no, but I knew that Ellie liked it. So I was going to go for oh. either of those. Do I just not know my setting? <laughs> Princess Bride is my favorite movie of all time. And like, yeah, there's that movie watch list uh, that's commonly recommended amongst, you know, the Eberron uh, geeks. But mm-hmm. uh, I think that's the main one that you got to watch. Yeah. <laughs> I think for for me, like the the big one for me is uh, is Final Fantasy eight. I just had to pull one out of the hat. Um, the the use of uh, the sort of like intersectionality between magic and technology is is really strong in that setting. Um, of course, it's weird because Final Fantasy eight has things like cars and a rocket ship. Um, depends which which one <laughs> yeah eight eight specifically is the one that uh that i'm referring to which is the one with squall and yeah. cypher balam garden um and it's a it's a surprisingly political uh entry into the series there's a war that just ended uh before the start of the game stop me if you've heard this story before um and uh there is a, a nation that's uh, has a spiritual leader that serves as their ambassador that might also be uh, possessed or dare I say inspired uh, by uh, a entity that can take control of their their body. Um, and uh, it's it's also funny to me in in the sense that uh, anybody in that world can use magic because of the way that the draw system works. Any character that you run with can can pull magic out or get magic from a source and and cast and use magic, and they still make a sorceress sound scary. Mm. And that's really impressive to me because D and D. And and to a to a slightly similar Venn diagram degree, Eberron um, doesn't really differentiate between different kinds of, of spell casting. You have wizards and sorcerers, bards, and they all functionally do the same thing. Um, so how do you really kind of differentiate them other than flavor? But by taking something like a sorceress and making it different and weird and scary uh kind of you know touches that uh this thing is is different and strange but uses familiar terminology that i think a lot of players really like in in character stories um but just some of that like really cool politic uh stuff is is really fun to kind of you know dig into um there's that ancient machinery uh the, with Balam Garden there's a, a moment in the game where you have to like go down into the bowels of this uh, really kind of future tech looking school 
and go through this like oil and boiler kind of section to reactivate this ancient machinery. And it turns out that it gives the the school flight, which again, tell me when you've heard the story of a flying school in your fantasy setting. Um, so there's a, there's a number of parallels that I, I think can be made for what is largely regarded as I think one of the, the less, uh, well-known or less, less universally enjoyed Final Fantasies. But I enjoy yeah, it. And it's between it, two it's of the most known? loved like, I, Gosh, Final I remember Fantasies. when that game came out and it was the hotness, mm-hmm. at least in my school. Seven and nine, I think, both uh, overshadowed it for, that's, for different yeah, that's reasons. True. Yeah, seven um, has definitely overshadowed it in terms of having, uh, having legs for popularity. Um, yeah. The one, the entry that kind of jumps out to me as being like super Eberani is uh is 12 final fantasy 12 uh where again you're getting into uh gosh i can't even remember the nitty-gritty of the plot but there's like an invasion there's some succession issues in one of the countries there's you know there's airships though you know it's very much steampunk and uh, you'll you'll get in really big trouble if you ever refer to Eberron as steampunk on the internet <laughs> Um, and you know, it, and to be fair, it's, it's really not, at least not, it not as written, but, um, yeah. Magipunk. Magipunk. There we go. No, um, since Ernesto totally sniped my answer and he totally planned on doing it too. And, uh, you know, yeah. uh, well, well played, well played. Um, I mean, gonna... you can, you can talk about it too, if you want. It's like, I don't have many options for me at least. So. <laughs> you know, um, I'm gonna. I'm gonna go with a with a spicy take for um for a game that I kind of think about um when playing Ebron, which is the uh, wildly unpopular Dragon Age Two, which is actually my favorite entry in the series so far. Um, you know, it's this interesting, and it's this game in which you you start from nothing. You start the game. Um, fleeing your village with your family. Your village has been destroyed and sacked by these monstrous invaders and they're chasing you down too. And you're just trying to, you're just trying to get your family the hell out of there. And you, you know, you eventually wind up on a, on a sketchy ship and find and make it to another city where you start the game as a refugee with nothing and um, there's lots of dark magic at work in the city. There's lots of uh, corruption at work in the city. There's a very much a rebellion starting to form where you can see the seeds of that forming, even from the start of the game that you eventually get drawn into. And, you know, the three acts of the game <clears throat> uh, simultaneously have you building your character um from you know from this refugee from a war who's got who comes to the city with nothing until eventually you're one of the major power players in uh in this city and kind of in the region to a certain degree but at the same time as you progress through each act you continually lose something important to you and it's this just really really fantastic story about you know gain having all this material gain and getting more power while simultaneously becoming more isolated at a personal level like there's 
you know, the game gets a lot of crap for, you know, for having progressed development and using recycled environments. And that's totally fair. But, you know, the, at, you know, behind that is this really incredible story of, of navigating a political system of building yourself from nothing to something. And uh, I mean, that, that's a story that I've just come to really enjoy um, uh, exploring, you know, exploring with tabletop. And I think Eberron is very well suited to it, you know, especially on the on the coattails of this long war where people are, you know, trying to find their place in the world once more, you know, and that's part of Dana's stories. You know, what do you do? What do you do with a soldier once the war ends? You know, same with Russ. And so, yeah, that that's my spicy take. Uh, Dragon Age 2 is actually a really good game with a really interesting story. And it reminds me of Eberron. Really interesting. Boy, it's such great answers. And I just <laughs> feel like just stole an, an option. I I don't know. I mean, Treasure Planet, of course, because of, of the of how it feels as a movie. Uh and, and it's like uh it's one part. I think everyone as a whole can feel so different depending on just the location, right? Uh, on the on this, the place in which you are starting off as a, as, a, as a character, and you can go go to so many places, uh, narratively speaking, right? Because you can go to a big city with a lot of internal problems and a lot of uh, class diversity and a lot of class issues, like Sharn, or you can go uh, on a you can go on a on spy mission, like I don't know, just taking a going in a ship that just moves in the air and just fighting other ships, like in the, like in Treasure Planet, and be more of a pirate thing in Lazar. Or you can go for more of a cowboy type of game with uh, I, I don't recall now the day, but it's like spell slingers, right? That we have this. You can go for so many. You can this like kind of post World War II feeling with the morning and and there's so many so many stories that you can tell in that world in general that uh, I, I can I can't really choose a piece of media because of the story but I I, I would choose a piece of media because of the of, of a feeling that I kind of want uh, to feel why playing in an Everon setting, right? Um, and I don't know, Treasure Planet is that for me. Uh, there's also, I don't know, like so many uh, race uh, or they are like species type of issues between like the conflicts between each other uh, to some extent and the different continents uh, and the story behind them and the, the like uh, species that rise, uh, rise to the power and then fall off through the ages, like the, the goblins, right? And, and that has a lot of sci-fi kind of feel to me. Like, uh, like I mean, I know Ellie like loves Mass Effect too, and I have to shout it out as well. Like that, <laughs> that kind of like species, like this race conflict to some extent, and the, the rise and fall of 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 empires. And I don't know, there are so many things that you can tell in Everon, which is it's so overwhelmingly beautiful. It, I will say. Yeah, that that's a really nice way of putting it. So, uh, thanks, Keith. You did good. Um, yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna move us along again because I'm almost done my wine. So you know we gotta gotta get going here. I think that's a good hourglass. It's <laughs> a good hourglass. It's it's almost empty. We're getting to the bottom. So, uh, 
Shout out to any listeners that are still with us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Such a long, a long discussion. But Hope you have a glass one. of wine with you as well. Hey, yeah, maybe we should have warned them at the beginning. Maybe we should re-record <laughs> something. And cut it in there. Uh, so yeah, now we're now we're going to go completely off. Only the, rails. the finest on Darien Red. Black and white, they Braylon, but I, I know a guy who can get you some. Um, <laughs> so now to I con- really picture. I have to say now, like I really picture you, Michael, like in a, in a silk type of uh thing like on a black and white yeah yeah yeah. no but that's just like this is like long silk type like it what a what a black uh, type of thing and you was just with a wine like you send me a kimono i will wear it to game night (laughs) you are kind of rocking really dread pirate tonight you you've got the dread pirate roberts thing going on with the with the nice long hair and the the v-neck black shirt it's all very classy i don't think there's a higher compliment <laughs> again let's dial it back in here i'm gonna herd the cats and and uh because we're about to completely break things um i want everyone to go around and tell us either one fun and or interesting fact about yourself or if you prefer two truths and a lie mm. and then That's... we get to guess which is which Right. That that was the one that I could have uh think through previously to before. Uh to, to you. Um you I like sing I like singing a lot. Mm-hmm. I do like music. Um and um I don't know, it's some of my I, I really wish at some point if if uh, if I can to play a character in a tabletop RPG that that has his abilities are about uh singing and being able to but more on the lyrical type like more of a of uh like no not so much on the all the more pop music but more of an uh of um i don't know if that's the word in english but lyrical like opera type of music right can, can and, you and, bust out a tune for us right now i don't know i don't want to. Uh, I feel, I'm, I'm not that ashamed i'm I don't know. It's like uh I don't know. It's like I don't know, just just go in it like in a in a field of battle and just oh please uh, fight for me. I'm hey. don't uh I will use a Benny. I don't know, something some stupid shit like that. And and <laughs> wow, that, that was yeah, that was really good. I would definitely get inspired. I would give you yeah, Benny, yeah. yeah. No, I I threatened I've threatened on more than one occasion to bust out some shanties for Mortis of Lazar, and uh, you're all going to pay for it dearly because unlike Ernesto, I can't carry a tune in a bucket. But uh, <laughs> no. best thing with shanties is that you don't have to. That's yes, true. that's I, a great um, thing about shanties. One moderators, love. yeah, one of the moderators on the Ebron Discord did tell me that he preferred, you know, for for sailor shanties to be a little bit rough because they've got yeah. soul. Yes, thank you. I've got soul. Um, Kevin, one fun fact about you or two truths and a lie? Uh, so the fun fact uh, is that uh, I tend to wax seal my correspondence, my personal correspondence. Um, it's super nerdy. And I don't know when I started or why exactly I started, um, but I have a, a wax sealing kit. And uh, I was like, oh, my God, this is so cool. 
uh, and it doesn't actually take a whole lot of extra time. Um, I think it was, uh, so I'm a theater kid and, uh, you know, you give around usually, uh, towards the end of a, a show or end of a run, you, you know, pass out handwritten correspondence, like a thank you card to the rest of the cast. Um, and so I think that's when I started doing it, uh, was that I wanted to, to do something a little different, a little spicy, a little special. Uh, and so I got into it and it turns out there's a lot to that hobby, uh, that I did not know about. There are like wax seals. There's types of wax that like survive the post better. So if you're going to actually mail something, um, but then you get like that really brittle wax sometimes that's better for like, I'm going to hand a piece of correspondence to you, but then you have to actually like literally break the seal in order to, uh, to get the, the piece of correspondence within. But yeah, it's a fun little hobby that I have. That's amazing. I I didn't know anything about it, but now I'm really interested. Um, I mean, I don't, I make my own seals in the sense that like, I have uh, a few different kinds of wax, um, and based on terms of the stamp, uh, no, I don't, I do not, uh, I have a, I have a personalized, uh, uh, seal that I consider my own, um, but it is a, a stylized piece. It's not a piece that I have, um, what's the word, uh, not forged, uh, but, uh, fashioned, um, I don't have like a, a fully 100% fashion seal, but that might be something that I invest in is a truly like 100% unique. This is, uh, this is my seal and there are none others like it. That's I have a question. Really cool. Would you be like, would it be possible? I don't know. What is the wax that's used for sealing have a different consistency than say like candle wax? Yeah. Um, yes, you can use candle wax for, for wax sealing. Um, but again, it kind of depends on what specifically the purpose of, of your, your seal is. Um, sometimes what I might do is rather than actually try and hold a piece of correspondence, like a hold a, a piece of letter shut with, with wax, um, the other big common thing to do is to like, uh, so we have your, your letter and then your signature goes on the bottom left, adjacent to it in the bottom right corner. Sometimes what you do is you put the wax seal there. Um, so it's not actually functional, but it still looks really nice. Uh, and if you do have a personalized seal, a 100% like this is yours this is your personalized seal, it still is, you know, it still is uh, another form of signature. Um, and there you could probably use something like candle wax because um, it's not functionally doing anything, though I haven't actually tested it. But um, like I said, I do have a couple different actually like consistencies, a couple different types of, of specifically sealing wax, uh, some of which are designed to go through the post. They're a little bit more pliable. Um, so that way, like the bumps and, and the, the normal rigors of, of travel and post won't uh, won't ruin it. Um, but if I'm if I'm handing somebody uh, a piece of correspondence, then usually what I'll do is I'll use a, a much more hard and brittle uh, sealing wax. Um, and that way, what you have to do actually to get to the piece of letter inside is you either cut the side of the envelope, which is what the which is what letter openers were originally for. You slide it down the side and you open up the side and then it becomes like a little like a hot pocket um, that you slide your, your letter out of, um, or you have to literally break the seal, um, in order to, to get the piece of, uh, uh, of writing of correspondence. Uh, I'm no, just going to put it out there that I yeah. really like getting letters in the mail. So I'm just yeah. going to put yeah. that out yeah. there. Yeah. 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 I was thinking through it all. Like now we know how to, uh, get 
really confuse uh, DM by asking uh, <laughs> when we want to send a message. But what type of wax 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 are you using, or what type of uh, you can like you can Kevin you can totally uh, <laughs> fucked up Philip with that with that kind those kinds of questions. So. so. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they were they were originally like a, a kind of a form of security, not in the sense that mm -hmm. like they prevented people from getting to the thing within, but it was more like um, like know when you get a jar. Yeah, when you get a jar of something from from the store, and like it says, you know, if the the top is popped up, then this thing is no longer the stuff inside is probably no longer good. Same thing with a, a seal. If the seal is broken or if the envelope has been tampered with, it becomes very painfully obvious. Um, So yeah. that was that was really kind of the the function of it. But there is there were ways you could get around it. If you heated, if you had a, a lower quality wax, you can heat it to a certain point to where it loses its adhesion, and you could pop kind Basically, of the top flap yeah. of the the envelope up and put it back pull in, the thing out, right. yeah, read it. And then slide it back in, and then basically reseal it and kind of and stamp it back down. So there is there is some logic to it, and if you were really good, you could probably get away with that. Yeah, I can't remember for the life of me which which video game it was, and I was just actually talking about this yesterday for some reason. But I remember I remember a game I played where one of the side quests was to deliver a sealed letter, and it was all kind of very questionable circumstances and the letter was sealed with wax and you could absolutely read the letter but if you did that it would break the seal and you know then if you brought to the the recipient they're just like a wtf man you read my letter um that's a problem and i thought that was some really cool reactivity but i can't remember for the life of me what game it was so people if you're listening if you remember an rpg that was available on the xbox one in which such a quest occurred tell me on twitter how about well, you Mike? uh hard act to follow up honestly oh, man. yeah that Kevin. was really set me up for failure hobby. Wow, <laughs> it's, it's so nerdy um okay so i have been dancing two-step for several years and i never have really had any trouble with asking somebody to for a dance um You know, only only lightly, you know, it's the first dance of the night. You There's always going to be some butterflies in the stomach. And then after that, you're good to go. But when I went to go and uh, try and teach myself salsa and bachata, I am absolutely terrified of asking Oof. Hispanic women to dance. <laughs> I don't know what I it know is. I know the feeling. I know the feeling, man. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, bachata particularly, it's... It's quite depending on what level of uh, intensity you want to get mm -hmm. with that type of dance. Uh, I did but, uh, did uh, find a Hispanic guy to to dance with me. That was that was how I learned a little bit. <laughs> what's I mean, uh, what's two step? Uh, two step is a, a style of, of dance coming across the southern United States of America. It's a country country dance. Wait, yeah. is it a, a line dance or is it a, a partner dance? Uh, it is a partner social dancing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm interesting. not familiar with this at all. I'm, oh, uh, right. American, like, yeah. I'm just, I'm just Googling it and, and seeing. It's more of like, uh, like with country music or? Mm, yeah, typically. Typically, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I did do something like that here in uh, in where I live in the south, uh, where 
uh, it was kind of a partner dance, but it was it was almost more like those dances that you sometimes see in in movies where it's like it's a sort of group thing and everybody kind of trades off mm-hmm. partners. Yeah. Um. So I like that old English country dance sort of style. Yeah, and they and they're like, all right. Once we get started, we're going to start very simple, but each time we we change the song, we're going to get we're going to add another step to the dance. And so they they brought everyone into it, into the fold kind of organically. And then by the time, you know, you were half hour, 45 minutes in, everybody was doing this relatively complex line slash partner do si do. Um, and it was very much like, oh, my God, I've stepped into the set of a movie. That's uh, awesome. You know, the villain is flirting in the next room over. Somebody <laughs> stop him. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. No, I I love to dance. I just uh, have not had an opportunity for for quite a long time. But in my in my younger days, I did have a couple of dances like the one you're describing where they slowly teach you to build up the complexity of the dances as the night goes on. That that's always lots of fun. So apparently we all need to get together and the three of us will dance and Ernesto will like sing and sing alone. Yeah. We'll I mean, have a big old party. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Ernesto can lead me yes. if he wants. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah. I mean, I didn't sell some for one year. So, so there's yeah, four of us. So everyone has a partner. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> all right. We're set. There's going to be some dancing in this story too, surely, because we are all uh, Siren. Survivors. To earn the governor's favor. Yeah. That's what Sid Meier's pirates told me. <laughs> and you guys, you guys have a, like a, a, I remember you guys mentioned like you having a dagger, and there is kind of yeah. a dance associated. associated yeah, there's with it. a, yeah, I'm, there's I'm a ceremonial, a ceremonial Siren courting dance that mm-hmm. involves uh, using a knife to um, accept or reject your partner. Oh, uh, it's, it's a little mm-hmm. bit dangerous, but okay. you know, where would it's be the a little fun fabulous? Of it's very, fa- I mean, it it's seems very so. fabulous. No official rules have, have ever been uh, written for the Tago. So every table kind of has to decide uh, what that manifests as. But what a wonderful opportunity. Um, but uh, supposedly from the Five Nations book, uh, it is one of the five things every Siren knows is how to Tago. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I remember that from from the little sidebar in Five Nations. That that's a good sidebar. Oh, it's gonna happen. There's gonna be some dancing and some singing, and we're gonna bring some culture to the Lazar principalities. <laughs> that's what Sirens do. They bring their culture with them wherever they go. They do have a, a deep and abiding love of the finer arts in life. Um, so yeah, not the case of Truco, but yeah. <laughs> not the case of Truco, maybe in a different in a different way. <laughs> let's see. Let's let's uh, let's find out. Let's find out for living. Let's yeah. put it that way. Yeah, yeah. He he appreciates. Uh, he finds other little joys in life. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. All right. Well, the glass of wine is empty. So unless someone has a uh, a pressing final thought on their mind, which you are more than welcome to share, I think it's time we wrap things up. Yeah, I have a really hard question to make. Uh, no, maybe in a statement more. So yeah, this was fun. It was really fun. <laughs> you have, this was uh, fun. This was fun. That's that's a hard question for me. Yes, <laughs> hard questions. Yeah, yeah. Know that. This was good. Uh, there I have was, a statement. 
Yeah. If uh, I don't have a Twitter, so if you want to discuss this in a place where I will see you discussing it, uh, go to the Eberron Discord. You can you can find a link on the internet to the Eberron Discord, or maybe in the description. We'll put it there and, and that is... uh, just tag us. We have Discord names. Uh, mine is Sasquatch. Just tag me uh, and. Let me know, you know, let us all know what you are thinking about this uh, stuff we're talking about. Yeah, we should all <laughs> drop our Discord tags in the, in this episode description. Let the people have their say, you know, uh, get in trouble for our hot takes. The usual, usual. All right. Well, uh, thank you guys for hanging out on this uh on this week with no game, I, I dare say we made the most of it. Um, that doesn't mean we don't need you, Philip. Please come back. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that, this is good. Um, thanks to everyone for for sticking around with us and listening to this little deep-ish dive into uh, what makes us tick as a table. Um, once again, those of you who are on Twitter can find us on Twitter at Savage Eberron. Or like Michael said, come on over to the Ebron Discord server if you're not already there. We love to chat. And, uh, well, as Philip would say, until next time, keep it savage. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> some, some drums Have there. fun storming <laughs> the castle. <laughs> I am not Christian Serrano. He is not here with us. And neither is our dungeon master, Philip. He is he is unavailable this week. So it's all up to us players to unleash a, um, well, no. Don't but, worry. Uh, I love that. I totally I lost love my train of thought. Wow, this is hard. <laughs> that's, Keep going. That's a great deep voice. No take backs. Have you, no have take you, back. No, no, we're doing take backs on that.